Well, here's the deal. We, we, we've been in a series here at Big Valley uh, Grace where we've been looking at some of the, the great attributes of God. And, uh, you know, every church, every preacher, probably once a year, every other year does a series like this where we just uh, remind ourselves of some of the great truths that are found in the scriptures, what, what God says about himself. For some of you, you're brand new in the Lord. You've given your life to Christ within the last few months. And so some of these attributes have been uh, new. You're, you're learning something new about this God that you have put your, your trust in. Today, we're gonna wrap up this series by looking at God's faithfulness. God is faithful. In Lamentations chapter three, it was just up on the jumbotrons a, a moment ago. It says, great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Psalms chapter 89 says, your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is an enduring as the heavens. All of heaven will praise your great wonders. Lord, myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. Psalms chapter 34 says, the word of the Lord is right and true. He, that's God, is faithful in all that he does. And you might just want to write down 2 Timothy chapter two. Last night I was sitting in my little room right before the service started and was just praying and the Lord brought this particular passage to mind. It's not in your notes, but you ought to write it down. Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter two. He said, if we are faithless, and there will be moments when we all will be faithless, the good news is he remains faithful. He remains faithful. And here's the deal. Each week as we've gone through these characteristics, uh, it would be fantastic if the sermon just ended right now. And we just went and had a great time at barbecues with our family members and friends or whatever because we learned a truth from the scriptures that God is faithful. That's one of the characteristics that God says about himself that he's faithful and there's nothing wrong with just learning a great truth. And so the great truth that we've all learned, we've looked at some passages, God is faithful. But I always like to wrestle around with the so what question. Okay, pastor, so what? Okay, God's faithful. What, what does that have to do with my life today? I live here in Modesto, California. You know, I'm a, I'm a junior in high school. I'm a, I'm a junior in college. I, I just got married. I'm engaged. I own a business. I, I got grandkids. Okay, so what? So he's faithful. Well, that, that's kind of what we want to do now is I want to tease out just a few thoughts on the so what question for all of us. I, I'm, I'm often asked, especially by young people, is there anything that God can't do? And the answer is absolutely. Yes, there, there are a lot of things that God can't do. In fact, let me give you three of them. Number one, God cannot do wrong. In other words, God always does what is right. Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, he is the rock, his deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. 
So one of the things that God can't do is he can't do anything that's wrong. Number two, God cannot lie. In other words, he's holy. He always tells the truth. Hebrews chapter six says, so God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. So God cannot lie. And, and number three, God cannot break his promise. In other words, he's faithful. Numbers chapter 23 says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Psalms chapter 145 says, the Lord will keep all of his promises. He has to keep all of his promises. Why? Because we just learned that he's faithful. He's faithful. I want you to know that there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. And because God is faithful, every single one of them has either been fulfilled or will be fulfilled because God always keeps his promise because he's faithful. He always keeps his word. Dr. MacArthur said, quote, the bedrock of faith is the reality that God keeps all his promises according to his truthful, faithful character. If God was not faithful, then we're all in trouble in here. We're all in big trouble. But the reality is, is that God has let us know that he is faithful. So if he promises something, you can take it to the bank. And one of the things that God tells us, or there are 7,000 things that God tells us in his word. There's 7,000 promises that God gives us in his word, and every one of them either has been or will be fulfilled. Now, when you grasp these three characteristics of God, that God cannot do anything wrong and that God cannot lie and that God cannot break a promise. He's faithful. When you grasp these three things, especially the fact that God is faithful, you'll have no problem trusting him with your life. No problem whatsoever. Even when you don't understand all that's going on in your life. Even when there's you know, just these difficult moments that happen that just don't make any sense, when you understand these three things, especially the truth that God is faithful, you'll have no problem trusting him. No problem whatsoever. So here's what I wanna do. I've picked out six of the 7,000 plus promises that I just wanna run by us all. And I think uh, God will use them in our lives, okay? Number one, God promises to remember and reward your hard work. He promises to remember and reward your hard work. Hebrews chapter six says, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. And if you have a Bible and it's open to that passage or it might be in your notes there, you ought to underline those two words, not forget. God says, I won't forget how hard you have worked for me. 
Now, people will forget your hard work. People may not even see your hard work. People may ignore your hard work. In fact, some people will even take credit for your hard work, right? But God says, I see it. And not only do I see it, but I'll reward you for it someday. This past week, I had a great time just thinking about all of you, thinking about the hard work you put into serving the Lord here at Big Valley Grace. You're not spectators. You actually roll up your sleeves and participate in what God is doing here at, at Big Valley Grace. You, you work hard. You work hard in our children's ministries. Last night, there was an army of workers here just loving and caring for our kids, doing their best to teach them some basic things about the Lord in our children's ministries. Working hard, just holding babies so that you could come in here and hear the word and you could fellowship with other adults. There's an army of people who, who work hard in our children's ministries on Wednesday nights down here. They work hard hard in our children's ministries, loving the, the, the children of the adults who come to CR on Tuesdays or our women's ministries or whatever it is. I was thinking about all of those in our church that work hard in our youth ministries. They're down here on Wednesday night uh, mentoring an eighth grade boy or mentoring a seventh grade girl. They, they're involved in our high school ministry. They go on camps and retreats and mission trips. We can't do those things without some adults who work hard um, serving in those capacities. I thought about those of you that work hard in our parenting ministries we understand that we're living in a time where some of you grew up and you didn't get to see a mom and a dad functioning together. I was one of those. And I didn't grow up, I, I knew nothing about the Bible. I didn't grow up with biblical principles or anything like that. And we recognize there's lots of people like that. And so what we've done is we've got curriculum and leaders who get us into the word of God to help us understand how to, how to be a parent to a, a little baby. How do you parent a, an elementary age person? How do you parent a, a, an adolescent? And, and we all need that kind of help. And we recognize that here. And some of you ought to take advantage of it. We got some people that work hard in, in that area here of our church. We have those that work hard in our worship ministries. They, they last hour got a beautiful choir and, and we got an orchestra and string section. And, and man, they get down here on Wednesday nights and they rehearse their songs. And we have bands. You got to see some of them here. Some of them play over in the venue. Some play on Tuesday nights at CR here. We have bands all over the place. And those people work hard to learn the music and all of those kinds of things. They work hard praying that somehow the songs would, would minister to all of us. Along with our our uh, worship ministries, all the tech guys and gals that sit in the booth and, and they're in the booth here on Sunday mornings or over in the booth in the venue. They're here on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. They're in the, the uh, fireside room right now. And most of you don't even know they exist until something goes haywire. <laughs> then everybody turns around and is looking, what happened to the lights, what happened to the sound? 
They, they serve up there making sure the jumbotrons work, the lights work, all the camera people that make sure that the feed goes through the video and goes out into the internet or onto the radio. Just lots of people who work hard there. It's crazy. I was thinking about all the people that work hard in our hospitality ministries. And some of you don't ever think about this, but you know, if you come over, when I, when I was younger, I had a little apartment over here, the West Gate Apartments or whatever they were called. And it was a one bedroom, one bath place, probably 800 square feet. But if somebody came over to my little 800 square foot apartment, I had two doors, one into the bedroom, one into the bathroom, that's it. But when someone came over, it was just a kind thing to do. It was a courteous thing to do, as I would say, hey, look, welcome to my, you know, bachelor pad here. There's the bathroom. Now, they had a 50-50 chance which door to walk into, but it was a nice thing to say there's, my home today is a little, I got a little bit more square footage. I got more doors. And when someone comes over to our home, the, the courteous thing to do, the nice thing to do is say welcome and feel comfortable in our home. And I want you to know that the restroom is the second door on the left or whatever it might be. That's just a nice thing to do. Well, we know here at Big Valley Grace that there are new people that come here every weekend. And it's a nice thing to do to have some people here that welcome them and make them feel comfortable. Because this isn't 800 square feet and it's not 2,000 square feet. There's a couple of hundred thousand square feet here. And doesn't it make sense that we would have teams of people that just say, hi, glad you're here. Literally, I want you to think about this. Depending on where you park, you and how many children you have, you could walk a quarter of a mile getting your kids in all their places before you ever make it into this place. <laughs> we always know who that person is. You're, you're gassed, you're out of juice. This is the place where, you know what, you wanna lose some weight? We'll burn calories here. Let's get your kids all over. So we have people that are just here to say, hey man, we're glad you're here. Welcome to our place. Let me tell you where the bathrooms are. Because there are people that are here for the very first time, some of you, and we're glad you're here. And we do our best. We work hard at trying to help you navigate this big, this big campus of ours. We're just thankful that you're here with us. And there's a whole army of people that work hard in that area. I was thinking about all of those that work hard in our library, all of those that work hard in Good Sam. And that's just an unbelievable ministry out there. We're over 300 new families we, we help with food. Those of you that work hard in Oliviana's Closet, those of you that work hard in our care and visitation ministries, those of you that work hard cooking up meals for those that have lost a loved one, whenever there's a funeral here, all we want is for people to come and grieve and let the Holy Spirit, through the message of God's word, minister to you. We'll take care of all the food. And there's an army of, of folks that cook up all the food and stuff. So grateful for all of them. Those of you that work hard in our recovery and counseling ministries, those of you that work hard in our altar ministries, those of you that work hard in our men's ministries and our women's ministries, those of you that work hard in our mops ministries, unbelievable how many young 
gals come to our mops ministry. Just there's like a, over a hundred children that are in our mops, you know, ministry. That just tells you how many gals are involved in that. I was thinking about those of you that work hard in our garden ministry. Those of you that just work hard, and I know I left some out. And some of you right now are going. I may not remember it, but God does. God does. And I know that it's nice to get an attaboy. I, I think it's nice to honor those, you know, whom honors do. But sometimes we don't do that very well. But here's the deal. God promises that he knows about it. He remembers it. Not only does he remember it, he says he'll reward it. He's the one who will reward it. So the natural question becomes, are you using your gifts and your talents somewhere here at Big Valley Grace for God's glory? He didn't give you your talents and abilities so that you could go out and make a ton of money or whatever. He gave you your talents so that you would minister to others, that you would serve others. And if you don't really know where you'd fit, all you gotta do is come down to a, one of our first Saturdays where Pastor Allen uh, you know, leads our, we call it the shape class, and you can kind of figure out where that is. Because no one person's gift and talent is more important than anybody else's. Jesus is the head. He, he's the head of the body. It's his church. We just all fit in somewhere. And God wants us all to serve him, and he sees it. He sees it. Now, as I said, not only does God remember your hard work, but he also rewards it. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter three. He said, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servant through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. I planted the seeds, Paul says, in your hearts, and Apollos uh, watered it. But it was God who made it grow. Now, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is, is that God makes a seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters works together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. And in this case, he's just talking about how somebody comes to faith in Christ. Here's the deal. We have nothing to do with it. Nothing. Nothing. God is the one who does all the saving. Your role is you do all the sinning and God does all the saving. Now God does, it's kind of this bizarre thing. He doesn't have to because you can read about Paul being knocked off his horse, you know, in Acts chapter nine. He, he could save everybody on his own if he wanted to. But what's crazy is, is that he does take us as human beings and he, he, he lets us share the good news with others and, and some plant the seeds, others water the seeds and, and yet God is the one who does it all. But here's the deal, God says, here, God said, even though it's all me, I'll still reward you for doing something, which is crazy. It's all him. It's all him. But when we step out in faith and in this case, share our faith with somebody encourage somebody in the Lord or whatever it might be, God says, I'll reward you for that. 
There's coming a moment when you will be rewarded. Now, one of the things you'll notice when you look at all these promises from God is that you do have a role to play. There, there's a condition. God says, if you do this, if you do such and such, then I'm gonna do this. So your part in this promise is, is to simply do something. You, you, you just gotta do something. And God says, I'll see it, I'll remember it, and I'll reward it someday. But if you choose not to do anything, then he doesn't have to remember anything. He didn't have to reward anything. So our, our role in this first promise is just do something. When I first gave my life to Christ, I, I, I just instinctively knew I was supposed to do something. I, Holy Spirit just let me know. I hadn't, didn't know much about the Bible, but I knew I was supposed to do something. And I remember getting involved with, with second graders and, and went in there and did that for like, I don't know, 20 minutes and thought, this ain't it. And, and then I, I thought, well, maybe I'll do fourth graders or older. I got in there and I got in about 20 minutes there and said, this is crazy. I don't want to do this. And kind of made my, I bumbled myself around until I finally got involved with junior hires and went, hey, I, I think this might be the place I, I, I could serve. And there's nothing wrong with bumbling yourself around until you find the thing that you're supposed to do. Nothing wrong with that. Get involved with our children's ministry. Hey, if it doesn't work, doesn't work. Go to high school. Ah, oh, that doesn't work. Get in the choir. Hey, I like the choir. Hey, find the place. Do something. And when you do something, God sees it and he remembers it and he'll reward you for it. Uh, n n number two, God promises to reward your generosity. He promises to reward your generosity. Jesus said this in Luke chapter six. He said, give and you will receive. Your gift will turn, return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And I want you to know that isn't some positive thinking or some type of, you know, prosperity doctrine or fundraising technique. That, that's Jesus talking. Jesus is the one who said that. And because Jesus doesn't lie, you can be confident that when you're generous with your life, with your talent, with uh, the things that God has given you, with your time, that he sees it and he'll reward you for it. It may not always be with money. Sometimes it can be. But God promises that he'll reward your generosity. Proverbs chapter three says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. You do that, then he, God, will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. And here we have God saying, hey, listen, <laughs> the God who owns it all, the God who's given you everything. Look, I don't want it all, God says. I don't want it all. You, you can keep a big hunk of it and you can use it to go on vacations. You can use it to go out to eat dinner, go see movies. You could use it to go buy clothes. You can use it to buy cars. You can use it to buy ski dues. You can use it to buy jewelry. You get to keep a big hunk of it. I just want the first part of it. I, I want you to remember me. 
Don't give me the leftovers, you know. You sit down and you write your checks out. Here's my MID, and here's my PG&E, and here's my water and garbage, and here's my car payment, here's my insurance payment, here's my Visa card, my other Visa card, my other Visa card, my other Visa card, my other Visa card. And then, oh, here's what I got left. Thanks for saving me. Here's the bottom of the pile. (laughs) The God who created everything, who's keeping your heart beating right now, who sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins and my sins, doesn't want the leftovers. It kind of makes some sense, doesn't it? He says, look, I don't want it all. Just, I want the first part. You give me the best part. And then you keep whatever it is you keep and you do whatever it is you want to do with it. And when you do that, when you have that kind of heart, God sees it. He'll reward it. Like I said, it may not always be financially. It could be, but he'll reward it. So what's your part in this promise? Your part in this promise is to simply be generous. Be generous with your life. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your possessions. Be generous with your shekels. Just be generous. Be generous. Proverbs chapter 11 says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Proverbs 22 says, a generous man will himself be blessed. Now, please understand me. I'm going to say it one more time. I said it twice already. I'm going to say it one more time. Just because you put some shekels in that little green bag doesn't mean that God's going to give you shekels back. But he does promise that he'll reward you for your generosity. And I don't know what that reward will look like. There's lots of ways that God can reward a soul. One of the great ways, I'll tell you what I'd much rather have than shekels is that God would reward me with a beautiful family, that my children would all walk with the Lord, that my children would all meet and marry godly people, that my children would be people who honored the word of God. I'd take that any day as a reward, as a blessing from God. I don't know what the blessing will be. I don't know what the reward will be, but God promises to do something when you're generous and God is faithful, so he'll keep his promise. Number three, God promises to guide your life. And I want you to follow along with me here. Uh, Proverbs chapter three says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will. Seek his will. Seek his will in all that you do. Okay, kind of getting what your part in this might be. And he then, when you trust in him, trust in him, seek his will, he'll show you which path to take. See, life is full of crisis moments when you think to yourself, man, what am I gonna do? Some of you are in a crisis moment right now. It may be a big crisis, it may be a minor crisis, but you'll ask yourself, what am I gonna do? And when you have a a question like that, I guess there's a number of places you can look for answers. You, You could turn to, I don't know, fortune cookies. 
You could look at the horoscopes. You could call up Dr. Phil. Look, there's only one completely reliable source for guidance, and that's God, because he's the only one who can look into the future. He's the only one who can truly help you. Psalms 147 says, the Lord is great and very powerful. There's no limit to what he knows. In other words, God knows everything. He's all knowing. There's no question he can't answer. Whatever that crisis is in, you know, that crisis you're in right now, God doesn't go, whoa, man, that is a bummer. Whoa, man, good luck. Never seen that one before. Man, I'm going to keep an eye on you, man, just to see how that all goes down. No. He knows everything. He's not shocked. God knows absolutely everything there is to know about everything. And the good news is, is that he's promised to help you out as long as you do your one thing. And what is that? Your part is to simply trust in him. Isaiah chapter 48 says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the path you should follow. And I'm gonna come back around and answer the question, how does God teach us what is good? How does God lead us here in the 21st century? Psalms 37 says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He directs the steps of those that trust him or seek his will. But how does that happen? Okay, pastor, the word of God says that God is going to direct us. How does he do that? How does that happen? Well, there's lots of ways, but let me give you the two primary ways that I think God leads us or guides us. Number one, God gives guidance through the Bible. You can't miss that. This is the primary way that uh, we trust God or we seek his will. This is how God teaches us. This is how God guides us. Is he left us this book? So it's in here where we find the will of the Lord. And God says, if you spend time in my word, if you really trust me, if you're seeking my will and my word, if you're doing that, he promises, hey, listen, I'll guide your life. I'll lead your life. Psalms um, 119 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. This is the flashlight that God uses to help us navigate life. It's this right here. That's why it's so important that you're in a Bible study or you spend time each day trusting the Lord, seeking his will, allowing him to guide you. It's this. You have to be in this. This is how God is going to guide you. Now, the second way that I wrote down, and I, once you get past the Bible, there's a couple that, kind of jockeyed for a second, but I, I'm going to put this one down. God gives guidance through godly counsel. And the key word there is godly 
counsel. There's all kinds of counsel out there. You can turn on your radio at any given moment and find all kinds of yahoos out there giving all kinds of counsel and all kinds of stuff. You can turn on your TV and get all kinds of counsel. You get all kinds of friends in your life that give you all kinds of counsel. How God will guide you will be through his word and godly counsel. Proverbs chapter 11 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, I wanna make sure you understand this. What is, what is he talking about there? There's a story, I don't know, I may have told it to you before, of, of these four blind guys, and they were all standing before an animal. And the first blind guy grabs a hold of one of the body parts of the animal and says, hey guys, this thing's like, a, like an oak tree. And the second blind guy walks up and he grabs a part of this animal and says, oak tree, what are you talking about? This thing's like a snake. And the third blind guy, he grabs a, a part of this animal and says, oak tree, snake, this thing's like a ginormous palm branch. And the fourth blind guy, he actually sits on the animal and says, what are you talking about, oak tree, snake, palm branch? This thing's like a house. Well, they were all right, it was an elephant. One guy had the leg, one guy had the trunk, one guy had the ear, and one guy sitting on it. But it wasn't until you put all four of them together that you now have a clear picture as to what the animal was. And one of the things we have to learn is this, is that I grew up a particular way, I've got a particular set of lenses I look through, just like you do. And when the Bible says that there's safety in the multitude of counselors, is it's always good to have godly people that give you different angles of a problem, maybe. And you sit there and you listen to it, and you, okay, okay, got it, okay, this is, okay, uh, and then from there, you then can make a wise decision about what is right for you, your life, whatever it might be. But the key word is godly. Christians who, who know the Bible, Christians who know what the principles are in the scriptures, Christians who can help you see what the Bible says about whatever it is that you're facing. So yes, God uses this, but I realize some of you are new in the Lord, there's a lot of things you don't know, and so things will come up in your personal life, your marriage, your family, your business, and you go, man, what do I do? Hey, that's where you need to have godly men, godly women in your life who then maybe can help you explore the scriptures to find out what it is that you're to do because God promises, I'm gonna lead you. I, 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 I'm, I'm gonna guide you. Uh, n- number four, God promises to punish your enemies. Amen, preacher. This, this, this is the one I've been waiting on. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, the great apostle, our brother, Paul writes, my friends, do not try to punish others when they wrong you. Well, that's hard. That's hard. But wait for God to punish them with his anger. It is written, I will punish those who do wrong. I will repay them says the Lord. You ever read the newspapers or watch you know, news on TV or the internet or, or whatever and you think to yourself, man, life isn't fair. 
I mean, you read about some criminal who does all sorts of crummy, evil things, and then he gets off scot-free on some technicality. Isn't fair. Or read about some scandal where somebody has been dishonest and yet they prosper and then they skip the country with millions of dollars and you're working hard and you're just barely making it. Just isn't fair. Or someone that you know that is a really good person, a decent person, a moral person is dying of cancer and some gang member, some hell's angels out selling crack to kids and they're as healthy as an ox. And you go, man, this... This isn't fair. Beloved, I want you to know something. I've read this thing a number of times. Never have found one place in here where God says that life is fair. This side of glory because of sin, because of the impact of sin, life isn't fair at times. In fact, most of the time, life isn't fair. God never said it would be, but God promises that one day, listen to me, he promises that one day he's going to settle the score. You see, heaven is a real place, and so is hell. They're both real places, and one day God's gonna settle the score. There's coming a day when people will stand before God and be judged And some people are gonna spend their eternity with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit forever in glory because their sins have been forgiven. And there will be some who will spend their eternities apart from God because they rejected God here on planet Earth. And God will say, okay, you didn't want me in your life, then we'll just make it that way permanently. That day's coming. Now, one of the things I love about this passage here in Romans is that God is very much aware of what's going on down here on planet Earth. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows about those people in your lives that have caused you pain and sorrow and done all kinds of evil things to you. He knows about it. And he he tells us that there's coming a day when he's gonna take care of it. When somebody hurts you or stabs you in the back or maligns you or, or someone spreads rumors about you that aren't true or whatever, God sees it and he promises to settle the score. So what's your part in this promise? Your part is to simply wait for God. Wait. I'll tell you what, more Christians, and I'll include myself in this, we get ourselves into trouble when we don't wait on God and we take vengeance into our own hands. And the reality is when we do, you know what, for about two seconds it feels pretty good. I'd be lying to you if I said it didn't feel good. It does. And then the Holy Spirit just boom! Because you acted out sinfully. You disobeyed what God said. God said you wait for me. You let me deal with that. The greatest example of this, obviously, is Jesus. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, he, that's Jesus, did not retaliate when he was insulted. When somebody posted something crummy about him on Facebook, he didn't retaliate. 
And we're supposed to be like him, right? We're called to be imitators of Christ. We're called to be more transformed in the image of Jesus. It goes on and says, he didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And I got a long way to go before I'm like Jesus in this area. I know some of you got this one down pat. I, I wrestle with it. This was good for me to just look at this this week and allow God's word to minister to me. Allow God's word to do its work in my own life. God says, I'll take care of business someday. You just wait for me to do it. Just wait for me. Uh, number five, God promises to forgive your sins. In 1 John chapter one, it says, if we confess our sins, he, that's God, is faithful, and we know he's faithful, and he's just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God says, if you want to have your sins forgiven, all you have to do is confess. You don't have to beg God to have your sins forgiven. You don't have to work hard to have your sins forgiven. You don't have to bargain with God to have your sins forgiven. You know, huh, God, if you'll just forgive me this one time, I'll never do it again. If you'll forgive me this one time, I promise I'll give more. I'll read my Bible more. You don't have to do that. God says, if you'll just confess your sin, be honest about your life. He'll forgive your sins. He's faithful. He'll do it. Some of you are here and there's some crummy thing in your life and you just, you're afraid to confess it because it's just too heinous, it's too crummy, it's too whatever. God says, you confess it to me and I'll forgive it. There may be consequences that'll go on forever, this side of glory. But he promises to forgive your sin regardless of what it is. So your part in this promise is to simply confess to God. Confess to God. King David had really blown it. He had sinned just terribly. And in Psalms 32, we get a clear picture of somebody that simply confesses their sin to God and God forgives them. It says this in verse one, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, wow, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summertime heat. Finally, I confessed all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to God. And because God is faithful, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. It's gone. 
God promises to forgive you of your sin. Number six, last but not least, God promises to send Jesus back to gather up his followers. This is one of those promises that hasn't happened yet. But Jesus promises that he's gonna come back and he's gonna gather up his church, all true believers, uh, the, his bride. He promises he's going to come and get his church. It says this in Matthew 24. Jesus is speaking. No one knows when that day or time will be. Not even the angels in heaven, not even the son. Jesus in his humanity didn't know when that moment came. Only the father knows. There's gonna come a moment when the father is gonna lean over to his son who's at his right hand and say, son, it's time. You go, go get the church, go get the bride, go and gather up all the true believers. Only the Father knows that moment. When the Son of Man comes, Jesus said, it will be like what happened during the time of Noah. In those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving their children to be married until the day Noah entered the boat. They knew nothing about what was happening until the flood came and destroyed them. It will be the same when the Son of Man comes. It'll be just like the days of Noah. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain with a mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. So always be ready because you do not know the day your Lord will come. God promises he's coming back. That's the promise. What's your part? Your part is to be ready. That's your part. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. In the book of Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve and things got so bad that about nine generations later, there's just, just the world is just full of evil. Just wickedness and sin was everywhere and God has it up to here and he says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wipe out the planet. I'm gonna get rid of everybody except for Noah and his family. And he tells Noah, Noah, I want you to build a boat. I want you to build an ark. And God gives Noah the plans and this thing was unbelievable. And this is back in a time when there was no Home Depot. There weren't skill saws, you know, hammers and you know, that you just go by. There wasn't any of that stuff. And so Noah says, okay, God, I'll build that boat for you. God says, Noah, I'm gonna cause a flood to wipe out the planet. And I'm sure Noah had a few questions. They're not recorded, but I got the feeling that Noah said, hey, God, I just was wondering, what is rain? As far as we know, it had never rained on the planet. And yet God had told him the planet was gonna be flooded through rain and water that would come up from the ground. And here he was building a boat. Some estimates are about a thousand miles was the closest body of water. We know it took him about 150 years to build that boat. 150 years. I've been alive for 55. He'd been building that boat. Only a third of it was done. 
And for that 150 years, he preached the gospel. He told people, hey, you need to repent of your sin. God's gonna wipe out the planet because of all the sin and all of the evil. And for 150 years, this man not only built a boat in obedience to God, uh, uh, God's word, but he also preached. He would tell people, you need to repent of your sin. For 150 years, not one soul repented. Not one. Everybody blew him off. I'm sure he was mocked. I'm sure there were all kinds of jokes told about him. 150 years, that's a lot of babies that were born and grandchildren that were born and great-grandchildren that were born. I'm sure there were jokes that were told in families that went on throughout the decades about this guy Noah building that big boat. Everybody mocked him. Everybody made fun of him. Building a big boat a thousand miles away from water. Rain, what is that? What are you talking about? And to make matters worse, imagine the day all of a sudden he starts showing up with two porcupines and two zebras. And, you know, what are you doing? Well, it's coming. And I'm getting the boat already. God told me to take two animals of every kind. He's going to wipe the planet out. The animals I have on this boat are gonna repopulate the earth. You need to repent of your sin. Turn back to God. And people were just mocking him, making fun of him. And I'd give anything, if I could get in that back to the future DeLorean and go back to that moment when Noah gets on board the boat and God shuts the door. And all of a sudden, somewhere in town, Guys are walking around, maybe they're talking about Noah, that crazy guy, that guy's a nut. And out of nowhere, what was that? That was bird? And it starts to rain. Guy had been preaching for 150 years. I got the feeling. Noah! <laughs> you know, they're all making a beeline to the thing. The door was shut, it was too late. The water was coming down from the sky, water was coming up from the great pockets of water under the ground. And everybody died. Jesus says, that's how it's gonna be when I come back. I look at our culture today and I say to myself, you know what, people mock us. People make fun of us. <laughs> you're just, you're a bunch of haters. You're just a bunch of bigots. This is an old book. Are you telling me you guys actually live by this thing? Give me a break. And here we have this culture that just thinks we're kind of nutty, kind of a little bit like Noah. And Jesus says, there'll be a moment when the father will look to the son and say, go. It's like the rain coming down. And at that moment, it's too late. When the rain started to come, it was too late to get on board the boat. When Jesus comes, It'll be too late, done. 
And so Jesus, because he loves us so deeply, says, so always be ready. And our part is to be ready. And it could be you're here, you're over in the venue, you're watching online, and I don't know, you're listening on the radio and you're thinking to yourself right now, wow, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And by the goodness of God, by the grace of God, he opened your eyes to the truth about you and your sin. He opened your eyes to the truth about his son and who his son was, that he came and died on a cross for you, was put into a tomb, and three days later he walked out of the grave because death couldn't hold him, you see? And you know why death couldn't hold him? Because he had no sin. The wages of sin is death. We die because of sin. He had no sin because he was God's son. So it makes sense that death would have no hold on his life. He had no sin. He was God's son. And God has opened your eyes to that truth. And this is the moment where God, mercy is being poured out on you. He's the one who's drawing you to himself right now. You know you're not ready. And here's the deal. We got a room right over there. And in a moment we're gonna be done. We got a room right over there in the venue. If you're watching online or you're, 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 you're uh, listening on the radio, here's the deal, man. Don't wait till Monday. It may start raining today. Call someone you know who knows Christ. Say, hey, I'm not ready. God's doing something in my life. I'm not ready. And all we've had people going to the altar room all hours. And if you're here and it's genuine and you really know God's doing something, you'll, you'll give us five minutes and let an elder or a pastor, one of our spiritual leaders here at the church, pray with you so that you can walk out of here knowing you're ready, knowing you got a, a place on the boat, if you will. You got your seat on the ark. Here's the deal. God is faithful. 7,000 plus promises. Every one of them has happened or will happen. And this last one hadn't happened yet, but he promises he's coming back. And that gives me a lot of, gives me a lot of hope. It gives me some confidence. It gives me joy. I know he's coming. I know it. And I'm ready. And I know most of you are too, but some of you aren't. And you ought to make your way into the altar room here in a second. Walk out of here knowing surrendering your life over to him, repenting of your sin, understanding that he's God, he's the king, and you're but his subject. And it's not necessarily the prayer that saves you, but that's a good place to start. You would just acknowledge him and say, man, Lord, I need your son in my life. Sinful. It'll be a great day for you. It'll be a great memorial day for some of you to make your way into our altar room. So we looked at eight things. God is good. God is great. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is unchanging. God is in control. God is holy. And then today we looked at the fact that God is faithful. And let me just tell those of you that are new in the faith uh, you could, I could preach on this for three years, 
take a characteristic every weekend for three years, you know, and never touch all the things that God says about himself. We just chose these eight. And it's been a great thing. Just to be reminded of who this God is that we worship. And I know that it's made a difference in many of your lives. I know it's made a difference in my life. Everybody in the venue stand up. Everybody in here stand up. Father, thank you, Lord, for this weekend. Last night was fantastic. Last hour, wow. Having that group here, solid ground. They were fantastic, Lord. Thank you for them. I'm glad we can do things like that. I'm sure they had a great time in the fireside room. Thank you, Lord, for the music that we sing here. We do our best to try to lift up your name, Father. I'm thankful for young people like Stephanie, who high school kids serving Christ, using her gifts. Jackie gets home from college and is serving Christ. Thank you for their example. Lord, I'm glad we had a chance to honor those that sacrificed their lives so that we could sit here in freedom and talk about you and preach about you. And Lord, I am grateful for the truth that you are faithful. That whatever you say in your word, we can take to the bank. Lord, give us a great afternoon. Give us a great uh, Memorial Day tomorrow. And I pray this in your name and all the God's people said, amen. Lord bless you.